MP, it's our final event of the year. Oh, it's all a bit sad, Bretto, but after four big events for 2018, we are going out with a bang with one more wellness base camp, and the location for this one is regional Victoria, the great town of Bendigo awaits. Oh, and how's this for a lineup, MP? Bendigo will be rocking with the rock star of wellness, Damien Christoph. The art of self-love angel herself, Kim Morrison, hits the stage. As will the natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe. And I'll tell you what, Steph's presentation at the summit on fasting was a showstopper. You'll be there, Bretto. I'll be there too. And Wendy Stewart from Wendy's Way will be there to share her inspirational story, which really did go off at the Wellness Summit earlier this year. It's Saturday, October 27 at the beautiful All Seasons Resort Hotel in Bendigo and tickets are selling fast. Two for one tickets for this one day of inspiration, information and empowerment are available at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's right, folks. Get your two-for-one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com before they run out and then the price goes up. Finish your year of wellness in style at The Wellness Base Camp in Bendigo, Saturday, October 27. Tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Hello, Joe. How are Hi. you? Fufu. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I just came back from looking at used cars and I feel like horrible. <laughs> you just said you were doing great. <laughs> Is, that, is it just me who feels that way? I'm not really sure. It just, just all feels a bit um, dodgy, does it? Yes. Yeah, it's not <laughs> a pleasant experience. And there, definitely there would be a lot of car salespeople that are absolutely awesome. But my experience today was the stereotypical one. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, yeah, I don't know, Joe. I'm doing great. Though. I'm, I'm happy to be out of that environment. So <laughs> That's good. That's good. And you're happy it's Friday, right? Yes, it's Friday. It's good. It's been a big week for us. So yeah, just, uh, happy to be. How about you? What's been happening? Oh well, we have exciting news, don't we? Are we telling them now or not? Um, sure. Let's tell them now, Joe. Okay. Well, we're working on a new project or two or three. As usual, we do everything at once. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had a yeah, we've been. Jumping right into a new project this week. So it's very exciting because both of us feel very motivated whenever we start a new project. It's very exciting. Um, so we're going to be getting another book together. Yay! Incredible. <laughs> you know, like, it's such a big thing to write a cookbook. Yeah. It took us over a year to create life changing food. And it was one of those projects that we really needed to recover from because yeah. it was such an effort. It was really a mammoth effort and so worth it. Like, we have you know reached so many people through that cookbook and so many people contact us all the time and tell us that they're feeling better they've lost weight their skin's better all sorts of things are coming from that cookbook and uh, joe and i've been talking about a new cookbook ever since we wrote the first one that we did. <laughs> i think we had people asking us when's the next one coming out like after a couple of months we were like whoa hang on yes. <laughs> so we just got this one out we just need a little break yes. <laughs> It's, not it's definitely going to be easier the second time around, though, because we sort of we've got our awesome team. We know who to work with, you know. So we're not starting from uh, right from scratch like we were last time. 
we're not novices when no. it comes to reading books. Yeah, we've yeah. got some. Yeah. Like last time, I think we changed the name of the book so many times and the cover, and we just like trying to work it all out. We probably still would do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. 16 times before we yeah. <laughs> we're working on a, a tight time frame. We're trying to get the book out in time for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure whether we'll it will be feasible or not. <laughs> but uh, we do have uh, a whole heap of recipes already done. We've been developing them over the past year and a half. And uh, they are s- sort of... Uh, ready really it's not like yeah, there's a lot of them that are ready. Ready. all these things yeah yeah so it'll but be much simpler definitely mm. and um we I won't wait to... much more details about it we'll yeah, just we'll... Uh, just a little keep bit watching this space. <laughs> don't tell anybody just don't tell anyone that we're reading <laughs> a new cookbook Woo-hoo! <laughs> and, uh, so much fun. i can't wait to come down and do the photo shoots and the no, you, I'm going to do them on my own. You're not, you don't have to come. I right. will just I'll, turn up. I'll look after everything. <laughs> don't worry about a thing, Joe. Hey, that's the fun bit. I'm coming. You can't keep I'm, me uh, away. <laughs> it is <laughs> the fun. With Louisa, she's the best. Oh, we like uh, to say that. Yes. So um, <laughs> that's where we're at now. So, yeah. guys, keep uh, watching the space. We'll let you know what happens as yep. um, things progress. The book would probably go into pre-sales when it's been sent to the printers so that we have a hard date for its arrival so that uh, everyone knows when they're going to be getting it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, look forward to providing this book to you. And it's going to be just such a great companion to life-changing food. Yeah. Just you wait. <laughs> Yay! So what else have we been up to? Um, we've got Darwin and Alice coming up in only two weeks, isn't it? Yeah, yes. two weeks. Yes. Exciting. I'm sure you destroyed my hopes last time. I thought. Oh, oh yes, I'm Alice sorry. <laughs> I said Darwin, you said Alice Springs. None of us was right about it. <laughs> about where Uluru is. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I got completely mixed up with that. I was thinking that last time we stopped over and saw Uluru, it was at Alice Springs Airport, but it wasn't because that's five hours drive away from Uluru. So obviously it was not, it was me um, getting a bit mixed up. I've been to a lot of airports for what it's confusing. I know, I sympathize. Airports all look the same, but they're in different places. So it can be, I agree. I agree totally. And uh, we'll get there one day. What a strange place they are, you know, because like, they're not really anywhere, are they? They're the in-between places. That's right. Airports. So you really can't have a memorable experience at an airport. You go like, oh, I love that airport. <laughs> Although every time I drive past the airport at Cairns, I'm like, oh, I just want to go somewhere. I love traveling. So you, really? Yeah, every time. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you, like, I, I, I'm finding as I get older, I just want to be more and more in wilderness. That's sort of my yeah. favorite place. I, I really don't care about cities anymore. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's not the cities that excites me. It's the people. I just love meeting meeting people and getting out with you know the quirky team, and we have so much fun. And it's just, it's just. Oh, that kind of work travel. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great too. Yeah, because like I don't do much other travel. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, like I, um, what I wouldn't like, for instance, like if uh, when I was young, I would have loved to go to, and I did like go to say New York and mm. Rome and Paris yeah. and that kind of stuff. And I loved them, mm-hmm. uh, Bangkok and 
uh, Tokyo, but to me, I'm sure I'd enjoy them. Yeah. It really says, like, go to the wild places. That's yeah. where I really, really would love to go. It's just... Oh, yeah. I want to go places where it's absolutely gorgeous scenery and and it's yeah. relaxing. Uh, cities are okay for a day or two, but, yeah, I, I'm more... I'd rather be out of the cities, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, I was watching uh, Rainier's documentary. Do you know Rainier's? Yeah, I've heard that name. Is yeah. he the wilderness guy? He's the wilderness guy. Yeah. Wilderness guy. Yeah, Dave watches him. Oh, yeah. That's, I, yeah. I agree with Dave because he's so good. Okay. And um, he was in the boreal forest in Canada. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. This is amazing. Oh. Yeah, the kind of wilderness that I would love to see one day. So we'll yeah. see. Maybe we'll do a, a Canadian trip or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we don't have that many Canadian followers. But yeah. <laughs> Try. People say we did a seminar and afterwards go to the forest. Yeah, there you go. I would love that. <laughs> and uh, Joe, I've got a uh, fire feast, cave, fire feast fable coming now. It quickly, three times. Fire feast fable, fire feast fable, fire feast fable. Oh, well done. Okay, I'm reading it. It's right in front of me. Oh. <laughs> yes. I'm to that reading. Yes, in case fire. anyone missed hearing about that last week, you better explain it again. Yeah, this is on Saturday, the 10th of November at 5 p.m. What we're doing is, um, you know how I do these pop-up dinners. Last time I did it in Katoomba and I really, really loved it. But since I'm an outdoors person these days and not really into artificial lighting and being indoors and cooking behind the stove for days and hours and days and days, (laughs) I really wanted to create a dinner experience that was um, also... Healthy for me expressed really where I was with my approach and view when it comes to food and health and wellness and to engage people in a very different way. So that's where the idea for Fire Feast Fable started and then it moved on to join efforts with uh, John who owns this, uh, well, lives on this property in Springwood. Um, he does... Uh, Jim Bay classes, his wife does yoga and dance classes and uh, he's a storyteller a really, really incredible storyteller, he just yeah, magical fairy tales and um, for adults and young people alike and we would gather in his property to hear stories uh, once every couple of months and just um, enjoy this interaction between the kids and him and the adults and he'd ask questions and the kids would ask questions and it was just you know an incredible experience to take part of and I thought it would be really beautiful to have dance music and food together in addition to storytelling that would sort of be like an ideal tribe for a day so I approached them they said yes we're going to do an outdoor setting people would bring their picnic rugs and um we're going to be cooking from big pots. So it, it'll be more like uh, you would in tribal times, you'd be sharing food from the same pot. It won't be um, a variety of uh, dishes and uh, courses because it's really not the, the ethos of such an event. And um, then have something uh, yummy for dessert as well. And then move on to story time. And John would tell his beautiful story. So I'm really, really excited. Looking forward to it. The mm. event is up on our events page um, in uh, Facebook. So you go to facebook.com slash 
Did you import that to yours? Oh, no, I've just yeah. put it on the Facebook page. Okay, um, so go to our Facebook page. You, yeah, you'll find it. Com slash, sorry, facebook.com slash cooking and you see it post there or facebook.com slash for ad kesab help and I've got the event listed on my events page. Probably the easiest way, yeah. So that's coming up and yeah. birth in November and that would be 2018 done and dusted. Yeah, we'll be um, heads down after Perth getting the book finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's gonna it's gonna be a challenging time, but um, exciting. Yeah, so let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So just today we decided that we will have a, a Q and A kind of ask us anything mm. day from the listeners, and uh, we've got a few questions. Do you want to kick them off? With- sure. Okay, let's find them. Here they are. Okay, so. Um, one of the questions we had was how to best nourish your body in times of stress. So this lady said they're about to move house. Um, she said she already feels like she's in a rut with breakfasts and lunches, eating so many eggs that she thinks her kids are about to kill her if she serves them anymore. Um, they're gluten-free, dairy-free, grain-free in their diet and want to know some simple ways to cook and prepare during this time of intense stress. Um, mm. She says, I need to not crash before the process is over, but I can feel the effect on my body already and I don't have a lot of time to rest and do things slowly. As, of course, you don't when you're moving house. It's a pretty full-on time. I remember um, when we moved to this house, I crashed with my health and I was in bed for days and my family and friends had to do all the house moving for me. I was so sick. Wow. <laughs> That's a really good community when they take over, move your house for you. So that was pretty good. But, yes, I was thinking about um, this lady's question. I thought, you know, the biggest thing, the the biggest piece of advice I would say is um, to ask for help. (laughs) Get your friends and family on board. And I've got some ideas for recipes and um, things to make, but I know for me when I'm moving house it's just... It's so full on that if you can just get the support of family and friends, it makes such a big difference. And it may only be, um, you know, someone makes a meal for you or takes the kids and looks after them while you do some work or something like that. Um, Even if you have to, ask someone if they'll make some recipes for you and pay them. Like it's worth it. (laughs) Like get a few things that that you know can be made in bulk um, and get them to make a double batch or triple batch and then get stuff in the freezer so that you've at least got some meals that you can grab out when you need them um, or some baking or something that will that will help. Um, so I thought of really when we're really um, under the pump, we go to really simple meals. When I'm really busy and I don't have any help, um, we pretty much eat meat and veggie meals, don't you, Foo? Yes, absolutely. Just so simple. Um, I'll just get out like a big piece of fish that'll feed the whole family with, you know, a piece each and then do one big pot of veggies and I'll like coat the fish in egg and um, tapioca or almond meal or whatever and then just fry it in a little bit of olive oil and meanwhile the veggies are cooking and I just layer the veggies so I'll just put in like potatoes, sweet potato, pumpkin, um, all the hard veggies on the bottom and then peas and broccoli and cauliflower and whatever on top. Um, And then 
the water just covers the hard veggies and the rest steams. And so it's all in one pot. You've just got your meat and veggies. So that's sort of my go-to meal when I'm really um, full on. Or else I'll do a roast with heaps of roast veggies so that you've got, like, get a really big roast and do meat and veggies that way, just roast it all. And then the, the leftovers are fine cold. You don't even have to warm them up. Cold roast veggies and cold roast meat, unless it's cold weather. Um, we do burger bowls, so I'll just get plain beef mints um, and just make patties out of that, make burgers out of that and fry them up with a bit of salt and pepper and then just grab anything out of the fridge that I can find. So um, carrots, lettuce, tomato, um, sauerkraut, homemade mayo, whatever you've got in there, boiled eggs if they're not too sick of eggs, um, and just put it, put it all out on the table and everyone just chucks it in a bowl and we call it burger bowls. Um, and you can also do that with sausages, like just grain-free, gluten-free sausages um, and make extra because they're fine cold as well. So, you know, I'll do things at breakfast where I'll make a big pot of something at breakfast time that will also be fine at lunch. So always try and make a bigger batch so that you've got it for two meals if possible. And um, don't be, like, don't worry about this. When you're really stretched for time, um, you just have to buy things sometimes. So um, just get your best options that you can. Like sometimes I'll, I'll go and buy a roast chicken if I absolutely have to. Um, I know it's not the best option, but if, if that's all you can do at the time, roast chicken and salad. Or I'll go and get um, like coconut yogurt, fruit, and some grain-free um, grain or gluten-free granola. And that is quite filling for snacks. Have that on hand. Um, you can even buy good quality dips if you just check the ingredients, see if you can find some that don't have any additives and dips and veggie sticks for snacks. So that's a few of my ideas for what do you have any? Oh, and Russian custard um, because this lady was saying that she needs to keep her energy up. So I would definitely recommend Russian custard. That is so good. So one of the things that I would think about during times of stress is broth. I feel mm. broth is an extremely calming kind of food. And Definitely. If you're stressing out, you want something that calms you down. So having frozen broth cubes in your freezer where you can just pour some boiling water on top. If it's concentrated, you just add a bit of salt and you drink that. That will give you some really good nourishment and calm you down. So you're not going to get overwhelmed when the truck guy is late or some, you know, <laughs> someone's uh, scratched the beautiful table or something like that. So it allows you to go through that period of stress a little bit more gracefully. Uh, also have some herbal support like chamomile as well. I think that's really, really good. Mm. If you worry about making broth beforehand, you can always buy some uh, broth, like we sell yeah. meadow and marrow bone broth uh, on our shop, which is a concentrate. You just grab a teaspoon out of that, put it in the cup, mix in, in, mix in some hot water and some salt, and you've got a cup of broth, which is really, really good. Um, Joe, as you were saying, like things that go in the oven that roast are yeah. really great because you can just put a big piece of meat in there and go about your day. Yeah. Um, one thing that we did was we sort of, because we wanted to pack the kitchen, so we only kept the amount of knives, forks, and spoons and bowls that we were going to need during the move as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe one of those things is, is to think about meals that will fit into, into the A roasting bowl. dish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my tip here. One-pot meals. There's, there's quite a few one-pot meals in life-changing food. 
but yeah, it's just when you, when you don't want to, um, take the time to think about a new recipe, I completely understand that you just stick to really basic stuff. Um, smoothies I thought of too, that's a good way to fill up and get some energy. So you can add some, um, coconut oil and coconut cream and some good fats and egg yolks to your smoothies and just um, get a lot of nutrient-dense foods in there. It's yeah. kind of like a meal on the run, isn't it? It's a good smoothie. Yeah, and you can have that nice mix of sugars and fats in there that allow you to keep going and give you that good burst of energy when you need it and the sustained energy for the rest of the you know few hours yeah. that come afterwards, which is really good. Exactly I thought of another thing. Um, when my husband was traveling in, over in WA, I got Primal Alternatives to deliver some breads and pastry dough and stuff so that he would have easy um, gluten-free, grain-free breads. Yeah, and that's something, yeah. yeah. And even their fruit toast, if you cut that up and then have it like French toast dipped in the egg and fried for breakfast, that's quite filling and it bulks it out. Um, that's really nice. And also the um, the pastry can be just made into flatbread really quickly and fried in a pan. Ah, perfect. I just grated some halloumi and put some dukkah on top and I baked it and that was my lunch. Oh, yum. It's good. Mm. And there was another lady who commented under that and said that this is her issue too, um, the stressful um, situation with um, a sick son and a sick Oh, so she has a fussy five-year-old who's not eat, wanting to eat meat and vegetables and she's also supporting a sick brother and she's supposed to be gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free and she has medical issues. So that's so overwhelming and um, all of those meal ideas that are super quick will help but if you've got a child that's extremely fussy, as we've mentioned before, that's um, definitely a gut health thing but not everybody can jump into a really healing diet. So we do have that top tips um, document that we wrote down 20 things that we think are great ways to start heading towards a healthier diet, but much more simply than just changing your whole diet. Um, and they can find that. Do we have a link for that for what? Or just go to the GAPS program. Yep. That's on the gaps.cooking.com.au. Yeah, just it's yeah. the free download, so just scroll down. Um, but do you have some tips for kids who don't want to eat meat and veggies, Boo? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I think just dealing with the underlying issues, is, is, it's one of those things with kids who don't eat vegetables. Um, it's really a sign of dysbiosis in the gut mm. and also lifelong habits. So... These things can't change overnight. But we know, for instance, with Emma's kids, when she put them on gaps, they only used to eat white food. Yeah. And now they're like, they fight over the broccoli. <laughs> yeah. Ask, they ask for um, Brussels sprouts at the shops and people look yeah. at them strangely. <laughs> and like she goes, what would you like today? Would you like, with your meat, would you like some Brussels sprouts or some broccoli or cauliflower? And they're like, all of that. We want yeah. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, there is some, it depends if you've got a child who's got sensory issues, um, there's some great OTs, uh, occupational therapists that are also GAPS practitioners that there's one up here where I live who helps families get their kids eating well. Um, and she uses the occupational therapy and the GAPS and works them into a healthier diet. So if you need professional help, um, contact us and we can like send you her link. 
Mm. Because it's just something that sometimes feels overwhelming and you need someone to sort of guide you along with it. Yeah. Great. Okay, next question. What gluten-free recipes would you suggest for lunches that are low-calorie and super healthy, getting sick of the bowls and salad trends and trying to keep it to 500 calories? Thanks. So that's a that's a very interesting question and mm. we are, would like to understand why the calories are being kept low. Oh, are, here we go. She's, she's answered me. She said she's not trying to lose weight more to maintain a healthy weight then when the occasion calls for a treat you can without feeling too guilty i'm also new to celiac and found eating the gluten-free bread and other gluten-free foods i put on weight for sure because it's high sugar that gluten-free breads generally the bought stuff anyway so yeah. do you want to talk about that sure so what, what i find is uh, 500 calories is not an everyday kind of diet so it's definitely uh, almost like a, a fasting diet, mm. maybe three to four times that much food to feel satiated. You you don't want to have it long term because you'll risk deficiencies. You're yeah. not getting enough uh, food into your body. Five hundred calories is something that's definitely helpful to do on occasion for a set period of time. It's not a, a like this whole thing around the guilt of eating a treat is something that you need to evaluate psychologically as well. The body shouldn't be paying the price for uh, the way that you view food. The body should be nourished. Mm. It should be uh, really looked after like you would look after a child and you would look after a pet or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. not something to to deprive and only allow to eat a treat when uh, you feel like, ah, oh, now I, I've earned a treat or something like that. So the, the, the equation isn't between treat food and, on the other hand, uh, deprivation. Most of your food should be nourishing, healthful, and healthful, nourishing food definitely is not food that makes you put on weight because um, if it does, it might only be temporary for people who need to put on weight. Like, it's uh, it's going back to the basics of whole foods and understanding how food actually works within the body. So whole foods are the healthful way to go. If you're eating a gluten-free diet and you're putting on weight because of all the gluten-free um, uh, ingredients that they use to put like to make this bread, and you look at it and there's like 25 ingredients you can't pronounce yeah. half of them the ones that are refined and you don't know, uh, you usually wouldn't eat day to day, these are the ones that make you put on the weight. The sugars, the preservatives, the the highly refined starch, the maltodextrin, the emulsifiers, the additives, the flavor enhancers, the texture enhancers, all these things are... And then you've got the vegetable oils in all those gluten-free bought breads, pretty much all of them. That's right. Not primal alternative. (laughs) <laughs> but if, if you um, take away um, the the caloric equation, well, if let's say we say 500 calories worth of that gluten-free bread or 1,000 calories worth of that gluten-free bread, and let's say even though it, on paper it might look nutritionally balanced, but on the other hand you have 1,000 calories worth of meat and vegetables cooked in uh, ghee and uh, you have a little bit of olive oil with your salad and and you've got the same kind of calories, the food that is whole food 
is what your body needs and requires to be healthy. You should just give the example of of your own story just quickly because some people may not have heard. Yeah, so um, I was 128 kilos at my peak. I struggled with my weight all like all the time. I used to I used to have to go to 500 calories to starve myself in order to lose weight. That was my approach. And that was a very difficult time in my life. And it was until I was 31 years old, really, that I kept going on this yo-yo dieting approach. So I would deprive myself and I would starve and I would lose weight. And then I would start uh, eating what I thought was normal again and healthy. And then before I knew it, I six months or a year went by with me not being able to really control my food and what goes into my body. And I would feel... Uh, terrible health-wise, I'll get on the scales, look at myself, and I've gone back to the weight I was before, and there's extra weight. And that's because my foundation just was not steeped in the whole food uh, principles. So whole foods are not a fad. They're not... Fad diets could be, you know, raw vegan. I would, that, that to me, is a fad diet. Um, Atkins is a fad diet. Um, these diets, like even um, what's called that guy, um, Ornish diet, that, that's a fad diet because they're not steeped into ancestral whole food principles. So they might branch They haven't out. been around for thousands of years eating that that's way. There's, nobody's eaten that way in the past. No. Well, for instance, we don't have any raw vegan traditions no. um, or cultures. This is a very, very new kind of diet that we started seeing in the 1800s mm. and it's gaining momentum now. But that still sits within the whole food spectrum. And even if you, and I would much rather a human being eat a whole food diet that is raw vegan. Yeah. Diet day to day to 500 calories and eating foods that aren't whole food. So it it goes on a spectrum. Like the best way to eat is to eat an omnivorous diet based on ancestral traditions. Mm and um, working with the body with where it's at. So like if you've got gluten sensitivities and things like that, it means that you, you're um, dealing with gut issues and a system that has been really assaulted by the modern lifestyle and um, environmental chemicals and additives in the food and a refined diet. So there's definitely this time that's required to recover from that. Mm-hmm. And um, the body needs a transition into into health and it needs to be uh, it needs to take the time that you take to understand the principles start knowing how to apply them to your body re, re uh, i guess renegotiate your mm-hmm. uh, ideas towards your body like just reset your view uh, because in a whole foods paradigm there's really no need for deprivation and going down to a 500 calorie diet yeah. So what I what happened to me is I went into a whole food diet and I started eating a low carb high, low carb paleo diet and um, I was eating maybe three four five thousand calories a day <laughs> just because I was eating so much butter and cheeses and things like that and my appetite quickly regulated to a normal amount so that my body just knew how much it needed um, but putting all all those calories in my body on paper should have made me put on so much weight. Mm. But that's from the calories in, calories out perspective. Yep. 
that that model is broken. It doesn't work. That's not how the body works. It's not about calories in, calories out. The body doesn't have a calorie counter where it says, <laughs> okay, this many have come in, this many have, therefore, like, it doesn't work in that way. So the body ha- has a variable metabolism. And if you put more calories into it, it's going to try to increase the metabolism to burn those calories. And if you're putting the right kind of calories in there, then it, it can burn them more efficiently than others. So fat calories, after your body has made the switch to burn fat, become uh, really efficient at burning. Mm-hmm. Your body doesn't need to store them. It uses them for energy. You feel really good. Your brain's working. Your energy's high. You can move. You can run. You can talk. You can do all that kind of stuff by eating a normal caloric intake that is suitable for your body. If you're uh, eating a predominantly carbohydrate-based diet and it's mostly refined carbohydrates and you've had damage in your body because for your entire life you've been eating according say to the food pyramid or junk food or refined foods or takeaways and things like that then these foods have become problematic for you and even the healthful version of carbs may need to be restricted for a while for you to come back to health and that's where something like a low carb paleo or a gaps diet we do really well they introduce these things uh, early on uh, later in the the later stages of the diet they uh, give your body a break from fibers and uh, refined starches so that your gut can heal and your metabolism can regulate and your body starts sending the correct signals for you to eat i think most people when they first swap over to gluten-free um, make the same, can I say mistake, because I did it, <laughs> of just trying to swap everything that they usually would have eaten that had wheat in it to try and swap it to a gluten-free version. And so you get caught up in this cycle of constantly either buying packaged gluten-free, starchy, sugary foods, which honestly the sugar in those gluten-free baked goods in the shops is crazy, the sugar you know, the amount of sugars and carbs, um, or trying to bake everything yourself, which becomes stressful because it's a lot of work and you're trying to make breads and biscuits and scones and pies and everything so that everyone in the family still has the same food they're used to. Um, And I did that for a while and it, it, you know, it was kind of um, hard at first because I was spending so much time in the kitchen and my health did not improve a lot because I was still having those really hard di- hard to digest foods. But once we went on to the GAPS diet and just pulled right back away from baking and went on to just really simple, you know, meats and veggies and fish and eggs and um, a little bit of fruit and nuts and seeds and all of that kind of thing, um, it really changed our health. And um, Later, we added it back in a little bit of baking, but not as much as, like I grew up every day, mum was baking every day. There was cakes or biscuits or slice or something coming out of the oven. And I thought that was the norm. Um, And we had bread every day. Um, So once I pulled back from that and realized, hey, we don't actually need bread. You know, it could be a now and then treat. And we don't need baking every day. It changed the way we ate and we became a lot healthier. And you fill up more with vegetables and yeah. things like that. Like my dad, when I talk to him about this stuff, he goes, what am I going to eat my eggs with if I don't have bread? <laughs> what am I going to eat my <laughs> eggs with? <laughs> like, like, just Habit. Like eating something without bread. Um, yeah. But I, I've been like that for seven years now. Mm. 
right? Like, I love having a really good, high quality, like grammar alternative or uh, gluten-free. Free dough, gluten -free. yeah. Um, that that stuff is amazing, but even for me, that's like a, an occasional treat. Mm. Um, when it comes to gluten-free, dairy-free food, if, I, if if you want my opinion, because the question is saying, what gluten-free recipes would you suggest for lunches that are low-cal and super healthy? I would say if if your gut's fine, as much vegetables with a good, a, like a beautiful olive oil dressing that you mm. can have, and some, um, you know, some. Protein, the protein, yeah. Like it doesn't have to be raw either. I think people think healthy equals raw. No, and I know when I was, okay. yeah, when I was trying to heal, um, my naturopath said, I said to him, I suppose you want me to eat a heap of salads? And he said, no, that's the worst thing you can do at the moment. When you're healing, you need cooked vegetables. It's much easier to digest. And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and once we healed, then we tried to bring in, like have, an, have a good amount of raw and cooked and fermented mm -hmm. veggies in your diet so that you've got that um, mixture. Yeah, I've, I find if the meal is lowish carb enough, then you can have really good healthy fats in there like avocados, mm. some seeds, not too many of those, some natural fats um, like olive oil dressing, something like that. And you don't have to count the calories of those. Yeah. So you just homemade mayonnaise, pile it on. Ooh, yeah. yum. <laughs> a bit of um, you know high quality cheese or something like that if you can tolerate dairy. I think we should answer this next one because it's similar. Um, mm -hmm. Why do we put on weight so easily if we're eating paleo gaps, etc.? Um, why would someone put on weight easily? I love it because it says this is the question. And but listen. It says, why we put on weight so easily, even if we're eating paleo slash gaps, etc. Full stop, it drives my nuts. <laughs> uh, I think she means me. Yeah, uh, and she doesn't mean me, but I think that was like a Freudian slip, which self-reveals <laughs> the fact that maybe you're eating too many nuts. And <laughs> it's like, you're the nuts, it's the nuts. And I think quite often... Um, just exactly as Joe said, like you move away from bread and you just go, like, oh, well, I can't have banana bread or I'm going to make almond meat banana bread. I can't have those, I'm going to have almond meat those. I can't have this, I'm going to have almond meat that. And just almond meal becomes your new flour. Yeah. Alm almonds and nuts are just incredible, incredibly nutrient-dense foods that are usually autumnal. And they, they're foods that are used for store, like we, we would store and eat throughout the winter. Like a squirrel. That's, that's right. <laughs> like a squirrel. And we, we use them to, uh, to sustain us because they've mm. got this beautiful uh, amount of fat and carbohydrates and proteins in them. And they just sustain the body really, really well. But these are not foods like, like I, I buy 10 kilos of almond meal and I put them in the in the cupboard. You know, I can do that. But for me to actually get on a meal, like ten kilos, harvest it from the from you know wild, yeah, try it and millet and get ten kilos worth from my take family. you ten years. That's what my <laughs> tribes, uh, you know, like that's what everyone would have put together. It's just not, yeah. There's not a, in, enough uh, nuts to go around really that in the way that we consume them now. Mm. The only reason why we have nuts so widely available and so affordable is because of monocultures and the yeah. ability to farm them and harvest them in abundance. Um, 
our, our bodies and the biology did not expect that that much nuts. So I, I think that's a big deal. I think nuts uh, are um, are specifically fattening. Um, in I think macadamia is all right. Like that one's a lower carb kind of nut. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's done, that does all right. But have a look at how much carbs are say in cashew nuts. It's just a really large mm-hmm. amount of carbs and carbs transform into sugar in the body they spike your insulin when bundled with like a fat like that as well like if you're having too much then the body will tend to put on weight um, and especially if you're also dairy free and you're having all the nut milks the nut butters the nut whatever's creams you know it becomes way too much and and once again our advice would be simplify your diet pull it back mostly vegetables some protein and keep the nuts and seeds and thing and the baking and the sweets, keep them minimal. Yeah. I'm not saying don't ever have them because we all need a treat now and then and make it a nutrient dense treat when you have it, but don't overdo it. Yeah. The, there's the joy factor in food that you mm. can't disregard at all. I mean, we have been cooking um, or creating these incredible things now and it's beautiful to be able to have them and enjoy them as long as they're yeah. made quality ingredients but you really have to honor the biology of your body that expects a wild environment which has seasons and has um if you were living in in an environment that you knew you'd know which leafy greens you'd harvest which berries you'd harvest and when and which root vegetables you'd harvest and you'd see that the majority of what you ate was going to be uh meat and eggs and, um, you know, all sorts of different types of animals. And then you'd be foraging for the root vegetables and the leafy greens and cooking those. But most of the food that hunter-gatherer would rely on would, uh, would be that kind, those three. It would be yeah. um, vegetable matter and um, roots and meats. And if, if you keep it like that for yourself as well, then you do really, really well. And it's funny, you know, we were mentioning before with when you change to a gluten-free diet, you go for all the bought gluten-free breads and things at first. When people go onto a paleo diet, they often get really into making all the raw cakes and the, you know, the desserts and things that are paleo. And they're amazing and delicious, but I'm pretty sure they're um, they're not traditional paleo food. <laughs> no. So, no. But, you know, it's just um, moderation. If especially if you yesterday, you know, he got some uh, acorns and they roasted them and they uh, put them in a bag and they leached them in the river for two days to get rid of the tannins. Mm. And that's these are the bitter compounds in acorns, which you know quite prevalent in things like almonds as well. But until we uh, selected for the almonds are sweeter, and eventually bred a type of almond that was lower in those uh, anti nutrients. Mm-hmm. But what he did then is he he got this flower and he put it in a basket and then got some rocks from the fire and threw them in with the nut flour that's already soaked. And then the hot rock started cooking the meal and it turned into this brown sludgy porridge thing. <laughs> and they enjoyed it. They said, they said all right. They, but um, like the amount of work that goes into that, oh, yeah. you know, starchy uh, nut preparations, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a it lot is. Of work. Yeah. One of the other things that Fuad and I were talking about earlier um, before the podcast was when we start to um, try and eat a healthier diet, 
and we're still gaining weight or having trouble with weight, sometimes it can be to do with stress and yeah. um, being overtired, exhausted. Um, did you want to mention anything about that? Yeah, look, I, I still experience weight gain. So this is not something that even I'm immune to. Um, I, when I go through periods of adrenal stress and my cortisol is elevated, I can't sleep, I'm feeling exhausted. Um, for one thing, my ability to control my diet drops. I just am mm. not as able to be as... Uh, you need comfort food. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, uh, and that, that's normal. Mm. Um, but I think we have to look at the stress hormones in the body. So uh, things like adrenaline and cortisol and the way that they, uh, the role that they play in uh, metabolism and weight gain. And we really want our cortisol levels to be low because that's the stress hormone. If, if it's high, we put in a fight or flight response and the body is not really happy to look after itself during fight or flight. It, it just does it when it's in rest and digest. So the body needs to go into a, um, a time uh, of rest in order to... Uh, heal itself in order to control its weight and its appetite correctly. So I'm imagining, like, there's this question here because it says, uh, how do you uh, reduce visceral stomach fat in menopausal women despite having an extremely healthy diet and maintaining a regular exercise program? So uh, I know menopause is a difficult time for women as well. Um, A a lot of women... um, welcome it and they're very very happy to be going through that kind of transition into a new phase of life and they deal with it uh, in a very positive way and uh, a lot of women as well um, deal with it in a way that's very difficult and they um, they feel a sense of loss that comes with it both both are valid ways of uh, being with yourself i'm not saying one is uh more correct than the other. But when it, you're going through menopause and you're feeling a lot of stress because of that, then um, you are already in, an, in a hormonally uh, difficult and challenging time. And then the stress on top of it may uh, add, to this, uh, add to the hormonal imbalance. So cortisol may, may start coming up and up as well. Mm-hmm. So visceral fat, which is the fat that's behind the uh, the muscles, and this in particular is visceral stomach fat. This one is, um, if you want to reduce it, I think you're um, you have to look holistically at, at your stress management management as well. So there may be, for instance, you may be exercising too much, and uh, you might have to cut back on exercise in order to reduce the cortisol and having the more um, types of exercises that take you out of fight or flight and put you in a relaxed way. So, you know, the stretching and Pilates. Walking in nature and swimming. That's right. So um, I would start there. And I think, you know, during that time, um, really but be with your body and honor it and it's it's going through so much change and if it's trying to find a way for it to come to a homeostasis and it's going through some changes um during that time i think kindness is imperative and um, Mm -hmm. not to try to force it to behave in a certain way when it's already going through so much 
just you know the kinder that we we are to our body through periods of transition the better i think mm-hmm. uh, but it, it might not be helpful for you this answer but i hope it is um we do have so elise who works with us um, with the gaps program she has a i think it's a webinar or something she did recently um that may help with all of these questions on gaining weight during a healing diet and um, why and how to, how to work gently with your body to heal and then work on losing the weight. Because one of the things that we've learned is that um, when you have toxins stored in the body, they're stored in the fat and you need to slowly um, detox the body with a healing diet and then, then you can start working on losing the weight if you've got that kind of weight um, but at least we'll explain it properly so i might just put the link to that in the show notes for people who want to look into this further and then we can move on to another question what's the next one joe okay where's the best place to find quick easy and nutrient dense recipes without heaps of ingredients dun, dun, dun. like changing food <laughs> that's what i think <laughs> all right so um, Lightly Food is our cookbook that Joe and I uh, wrote, got released in April last year. It's got 128 recipes that are just delicious and nourishing, and it's exactly what you want. You treat Simple. it quick and easy. The new book will also be mm. similar, but you have to wait till May. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, someone said they'd love to know what our favourite sized pans, pots, Dutch ovens, casserole dishes, what we use in our kitchen. That's quite a good question, actually, because I've had to look it up a few times myself in the early days, looking up online to see what other people used, um, trying to stock my kitchen with good non-toxic um, cookware and finding, like you don't want to end up with kitchen cupboards that every time you open them, everything falls out. You've got so much rubbish in there and most of it, it's not very usable or it's not good quality. So just having those few good quality pieces and clearing out your kitchen cupboards can make a difference. So do you want to talk about what you love, Boo? Yeah, sure. Um, I love sort of Technics pans. I used to <laughs> use a 26 centimeter one exclusively when I had an electric and an induction cooktop. My cooktop had like small induction plates. Uh, I don't know how they behave on the larger ones. Maybe they're, they're better. The larger ones may be better on, like the larger pans, like the 30-centimeter pan, maybe better on the larger induction plates. But I found that for the size that I had, the smaller 26-centimeter pan did well. It was it was the, the better one between the two. But since I moved to gas cooking, the 30-centimeter uh, frying pan or the skillet, is the one I use because it's bigger for the family. And I I prefer that for the bigger meals. But when I'm cooking eggs, I'll still use the 26-centimeter one. Mm-hmm. And um, when it comes to pans and when it comes to pots, I, I have a, a really good pressure cooker, which I love, like a, a large pressure cooker. I don't know how large it is, but uh, my mom used to use a pressure cooker all the time. I did mine, the old-fashioned ones. Yeah, and um, I've been using it a lot, a lot to make broths. So I'll just make my broths within a few hours. They'll, they'll be done and uh, they'll be really gelatinous and really great tasting. Uh, so a, 
a pressure cooker is a good investment. Um, you can get like stainless steel ones. Um, that's, I think, the norm when it comes to pressure cookers. Okay. They're really good. And, and Joe, you, uh, you remember the size of the, uh, the Dutch oven that I Yeah. Have? What, what size was it? Oh, hang on. Did... It's six liter. Yeah, we both have got the same one. It's a six liter um, cast iron enameled one. My favorite is Le Creuset, but um, we did get, what's the brand that we got? Um, I've had both. Um, my favourite is definitely Le Creuset. Um, but if you can't afford that, you can go to Chisua, I think it is. Chisua, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, don't forget, Solid Technics have the new Noni Dutch oven, which is six litre. I can't wait to try that one. I haven't got that yet. But yeah. it's stainless steel, a good heavy stainless steel with no nipple, so it's very... Um, safe and also conducts heat really well yeah, um and it's a and it's got the skillet lid i i believe i mm. think um that you can use on the stove as a skillet as well and you don't need to season those ones they're just beautiful stainless steel and they don't stick um i use the solid techniques 35 centimeter bigger skillet a lot yeah. i meant to some photos this morning I'll try and do it this afternoon um, this morning I was cooking coconut flour pancakes and my my biggest skillet is seasoned so well now the pancakes just turn out so beautifully um, and people often ask they don't make them anymore, do they? yeah the biggest skillet they do it's the um, it's oh. the one we've got on the website mm. yeah beautiful with the two handles um, so that one that one I love. If you've got a big family or if you want to do things like pancakes and steak or chops or, you know, things that you want a flat surface, that one or the 30-centimetre Solitechnic skillet, they're both great. Um, and they do have woks and things, but I just usually, I mostly use the big frying pan, even for stir-fries. I just do everything in there. So that's um, a 35-centimetre bigger skillet. Yeah, 35 yeah. And I had a 30 as well. I think I gave that one to you and that one's really good as well. Um, yeah. I really love their Noni saucepans as well. They do cost a lot, but they're so worth the money if you can save up for one and it has a skillet lid. Um, I use the big six-litre Chasseur pot as well. And um, let me think, what else, what else do I use? People often ask about slow cookers. Um, if you're looking for one... If you're looking for a slow cooker, most of the slow cookers have a ceramic pot and you just have to be aware that they can have varying levels of lead in them or they will have varying levels of lead in them um, from the research. No, I don't know. It's in the glazes. Um, from the research that Alex Stewart's done from Botox Life, she says the, um, uh, what are they called, cuisine art? Um, slow cookers have the least lead so I bought one of those but I just have to warn you um, <laughs> if you do buy one they cook slower than some of the others so um, you just have to play with recipes a little and sometimes cook it for a longer time so yeah slow cookers I really don't use mine a lot to tell the truth I use my um, like my big pots on the stove and just turn it down really low and Fouad and I have got Falcon ovens, which we love, and the gas turns off automatically if the fire goes out. So I just put it on really low and I don't worry about it, you know, going out or anything. So that's that's sort of what I use for a slow cooker. Um, yeah. 
Cool. All right. Do you want to ask another one of the questions, Boo? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on traditional sourdough made with culture, flour, water, and salt? Um, we've covered this question a few times before, I think, but worth revisiting. Mm. So sourdough is one of those foods that, um, if prepared well, could be helpful. So a traditionally fermented sourdough that is um, you know, fermented for 48 hours and the grains are organic and the ferment is uh, not like a yeast ferment. It's a, a wild ferment from a sourdough ferment and if the grain is milled uh, through stone grinding rather than through fine milling machines, it's it could be okay to eat. We did an interview with Dr. Tom O'Brien around gluten, and his opinion is that gluten, no matter where it's come from or how it's been prepared, is problematic. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's definitely, uh, there's a case to argue there, but looking at the work of someone, say, like uh, Dr. Weston Price, who traveled around and saw traditional cultures around the world. And some of them were eating traditionally fermented sourdough and they were healthy and they did fine. They they were capable of managing. They didn't have the problems that we have these days with gluten. The problem is if you want to be be eating gluten, then your system needs to be able to handle it because it's quite a difficult substance to digest. And uh, the older varieties are easier to digest, so definitely go for anything like Kemut or um, Khorasan and Spelt rather than a, a you know a new type of wheat. But even those, most of us in the civilized world are so damaged in our systems and our biology that we are unable to process this food in a way that is healthful, and it will go into our uh, bloodstream and elicit an immune response. That's his Tom, Dr. Tom O'Brien's view on gluten. Um, so it's a it's a matter of personal or individual tolerance, and um, it's something that you would want to look at how your body would react, so you can understand your individual response to it. And what you would do is you would get off the gluten completely for a couple of weeks and then you will eat some sourdough and see how you feel. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like nothing's happened, then maybe monitor yourself. Quite often, what you, a lot of people eliminate gluten and get it out of their system. They will uh, experience weight loss because the inflammation in the body has decreased. Increased um, mental clarity will come because their brain's working better without the inflammation, the energy levels are up, skin issues may resolve or decrease, uh, hay fever or allergy issues may decrease as well. Eczema. Eczema is often worse with gluten. So um, it's one of those things where like, it, it's become such a problem that for a lot of people, it's not even worth the experiment. But if it's something that you're intent on having and you want to have them once in a while, just see your individual response to it. Yeah. Maybe um, you've mentioned Dr. Weston A. Price. Um, the next question is, do you have any healing diets for pregnancy and breastfeeding? And um, I think that's a good place to 
continue the conversation about Western A. Price um, mm. and what they suggest. Yeah, so Dr. Price uh, was a dentist who traveled around um, the world in the 1900s, the early 1900s. And he, he was told that people who have issues with their teeth, like a lot of cavities and crowded teeth, that they, uh, these problems weren't there in the um, uncivilized world. So he went around looking at traditional cultures around the world to see what their teeth looked like. And he discovered um, that these people were eating a completely whole food diet, properly prepared grains and legumes, and they had their knowledge around food was steeped in traditional wisdom. And that allowed them to eat things in a very, very healthy way, which our civilized uh, selves couldn't because we lost contact with these traditions. And he found that a lot of these cultures had um, specific foods that they looked at for women who were planning to become pregnant, are pregnant, or were breastfeeding. And uh, if you go to the, uh, what's called? Um, the Western Aid Prize Foundation yep. website. Just look, look up Western Aid Prize. Yeah, I think that's what it's Western yeah. Aid Prize Pregnancy Guidelines. And you'll have a, a page which is dedicated for the diet of pregnant and nursing mothers. So it's, it's all there. But one of the, you know, the things that you see is they'll talk about cod liver oil, um, uh, whole milk, that is um, preferably raw from pasture-fed cows, but that is legal for you in your place of residence. Or if you have a cow. <laughs> but also, you know, it has to be legal, Joe. Um, oh, can't you drink milk from your own cow? I don't, I don't know. I think you can. Mm-hmm. You just can't sell it. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you have a cow, great. Food, <laughs> butter, Two or more eggs daily, preferably from pastured chickens. Additional egg yolks daily, added smoothies, salad dressing, scrambled eggs. Three to four ounces of fresh liver once or twice a week. Fresh seafood two to four times a week. Fresh beef or lamb daily, always consumed with the fat. Oily fish or lard daily for vitamin D. Two tablespoons of coconut oil daily, used in cooking or smoothies. Lack of fermented condiments and beverages. Bone broths used in soups, stews, and sauces, and soaked whole grains. So if you're going to have whole grains, you've got to soak them. Fresh vegetables and fruits. And what they say to avoid is trans fatty acids, junk foods, commercial fried foods, sugar, white flour, soft drinks, caffeine, alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs, even prescription drugs. That's from the Western A Price Foundation. Mm. Uh, we, we, I really love them. Uh, yeah. So... But they say cod liver oil contains substantial levels of omega-3 EPA. This is a warning, which can cause numerous health problems such as hemorrhaging during the birth process. If not balanced by arachidonic acid, ARA, and omega-6 fatty acids from liver, egg yolks, and meat. Please do not add cod liver oil to that is deficient in these important animal foods. It is important to follow our diet for pregnant mothers in its entirety, not just selected parts. So that's the disclaimer there. Hope that helps, but have yeah, have a look at uh, Western A Price Diet for Pregnant Nursing Mothers, and you'll come to that page. Yes. Well, we're running out of time. Should we choose one more, and then we'll have to keep the rest for another day, maybe? Yeah, sure. What do you think? Yeah, go go ahead. Okay. Well, there's some. There's a couple of really big ones that would be. You choose. I don't know. There's so many. <laughs> have a look. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I would like to... Do you want to discuss this one about the colitis and leaky gut? I can't see it. Where is it? Further down. Further down. Do After the... Pardon? Do you want to read it? Yes. Okay, so this... Um, person says i have colitis they say a leaky gut i've been following a plant-based diet for the last few days which has been beans lentils brown rice quinoa pumpkin vegetables my gut is so sore plant-based say that meat and oils cause an inflamed gut i don't know which way to go i want to eat more veg and have recipes that are plant-based so i'm not overdoing it with meats and fats very confused at the moment why does meat cause inflammation what's your advice i've had a test done i have no parasites yeast or any other things there were cancer markers, but they said it could be inflammation. I'm having it checked next week with a colonoscopy. My skin has broken out in so many pimples. I went off my tablets for inflammation. Maybe that's part of the reason anyway. Um, any ideas? So obviously this is something for a, a practitioner would be really helpful, but I think there's just a few things in here that are really important that people should know about leaky gut. Um, so I'd butt in whenever you're ready, but um, uh, go ahead. <laughs> let's, let's break it down a bit by yes. bit. So, um, colitis and, and leaky gut, yeah? Mm-hmm. But then the advice that person has been given is to go on a plant-based diet. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the idea that circulates, circulates in the mainstream is that meat um, and fats cause inflammation. So if you go on a vegetarian diet, then... You can reduce your inflammation and this will cure all your illnesses. And the problem with this kind of thinking is, firstly, when someone goes on a plant-based diet, the the foods that they start consuming isn't particularly a wide array of plants. It's a wide array of grains and legumes. So that becomes what they eat. And grains, legumes, and seeds, nuts, and things like that, although nutritious in their uh, profile, are the reproductive part of the plant. And this is the place where most of the toxins are concentrated in the plant. That makes sense because the plant needs to defend its DNA in order to reproduce. So it will put as much poison as it can into the grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. So if you have um, a problem with leaky gut and your, your digestive tract is inflamed already um, and you're eating all these inflammatory foods, then your gut is going to become really sore, which, you, mm. you, know, you know, the message said, my gut is so sore. Yeah. So that's to be expected. Yeah. And uh, plant-based say that meat oil cause an inflamed gut. I'm just reading here um, as it's written. So I'm guessing the, he is a, a she or... I think it's a he. Sorry, I'll go back and have a look. (laughs) Uh, This person is saying that, I'm guessing... No, sorry, she. She, sorry. She might be saying that people who uh, promote plant-based foods say that meats, oils cause an inflamed gut. Um, Yes, it's true. Meats and oils cause an inflamed gut. If the oils are industrialized oils and they come from machinery, you know, and chemical extraction processes, and if the meats are low grade and uh, come from animals that have been eating a grain-based diet, typically genetically modified and 
these animals are being kept in close proximity, so they've been injected with hormones and antibiotics, and then that meat has been taken and stored in strange ways and then churned into uh, a paste with the addition of additives and flowers and starches and um, bad oils and stabilizers and thickness and gums and additives and um, texture enhances and um, turned into a processed meat. Mm. But yes, meat and oils cause an gut is true. That does not apply to high-quality fresh meats and high-quality organic traditional oils. It does not apply to them. Um, so I uh, would say it's all about quality and yeah. uh, you can't really compare those two things that I just mentioned now. So from my experience with the GAPS diet and uh, your experience as well, Joe, mm-hmm. we've seen that the GAPS diet will remove all the fibrous foods to start, start off with because the fibers and things like beans and lentils, brown rice and quinoa, they're very difficult to digest for someone, someone with a leaky gut to start off with. So GAPS will remove those and then they will introduce broths or meat stocks <laughs> and, uh, and uh, egg yolks and um, soft cooked pumpkins and soft cooked leafy green vegetables and cruciferous vegetables with, with the least amount of fiber in them. So like, let's say it's broccoli, you'll be eating the florets and not the stalks because yeah. the stalks have more fiber. And the idea there is that plant fibers are going to be inflammatory for a leaky gut. And it works. You get off you get off these fibers, you get off the grains and the legumes, and you stick to those types of foods, and um, the body starts responding by rebuilding the intestinal walls, fixing the leaky gut, and reducing the inflammation. Yeah. One, um, we did a whole podcast on this with Empowered Sustenance. So she had colitis um, from a young age really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, she used just full gaps and healed um, and just really working on those nourishing healing foods. And so that's episode 74. I'll link to that one as well in the notes. Yeah, great. So it can be healed. A lot of people in our online gut health program deal with leaky gut, pretty much all of them mm. are dealing with leaky gut. And um, the way to go is... Um, we look at Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride's work and we've seen it work. It's worked for us and mm-hmm. it's amazing. So if you, we recommend that you have a look at the GAPS diet and see how you go. Um, and also Dr. Natasha does have um, a really good book on a vegetarian diet and how that helps and when it's not a good idea. And one of the times it's not a good idea is when you're healing a leaky gut. Um, it's great for cleansing. Um, as a short-term diet, but she recommends that for healing the gut, you need the, um, like Fuad said, the meat stocks and things like that. Um, So, yeah, a lot of the other things like the um, pimples and things, that's just another sign of gut dysbiosis, really. Inflammation, yeah. Yeah. So tummy. um, Leaky gut and colitis and you probably have a, an overgrowth of bacteria that's preferentially eating sugar. Mm. And, uh, and when you're having that much 
green come into your system, then the inflammation caused by that bacteria is just going to be so so high that your body really can't handle it. Do you want to talk about the legume side of things just quickly as well? Because legumes are really healthy, but for a while there you may not be able to cope with them. <laughs> yeah, that, definitely. It's just like, like most uh, natural foods, it comes down to the preparation of, of them. So like uh, legumes, let's say chickpeas like the, and lentils, they're some of the most benign legumes there. Uh-oh, he's going to talk about hummus. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say it. <laughs> oh, please do. You're the hummus sapien. Yes. I, <laughs> um, it's, it's really like the, the way I see legumes is this is an advanced food. Uh, if you're on a, on a steep curve of a, of a healing journey. It's one that you, you sort of want to eat a bit later on in the journey. Um, but they're so delicious. They're, they're, they're filling and cheap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they are filling, delicious, cheap. And they have to be prepared really, really well. So yeah. soaking them for 48 hours, changing the, the water if you can during that process to get rid of all the... Um, the anti-nutrients and the lectins and the phytic acid that comes out into the water is a really good idea. But if I'm, if I'm struggling with leaky gut, I would make them a very occasional food. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, yeah, they become part of a whole food diet that adds so much variety and texture and uh, deliciousness and hummus into the diet. So, <laughs> a really good idea. But you do, when you're when you're trying to heal the gut, um, your gut can't break down the disaccharides. The, so it, has, it can't break down the long-chain sugars and legumes have that, yes. those long-chain sugars. So that's why you have to just wait until you can heal a bit and then you can bring yeah. them back in. Yeah, take it easy on, on the, uh, the, all these reproductive parts of the plants. They're, they're difficult. They're difficult yeah. to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And before we go, let's just answer this one little one. What's the process of creating, testing, and writing your recipes? How do you decide which ones to include in your books or blog? (laughs) Well, let's hear your your process. We write down lots and lots of ideas on bits of paper, and then we throw them up in the air, and we catch the ones that fall down and see what we decide to <laughs> yes. Or what I do is I put like circles of uh, produce around me and I close my eyes and I think <laughs> where my hand lands, so I have to do something productive. That might be a good way to do it. Let's try that. Yeah. We might come up with some really awesome recipes. I mean, imagine. <laughs> chocolate and. Maybe you have to spin around three times okay. and each time you point to something and those three things have to go in one recipe. Oh my God. <laughs> Joe and I. Pre- like we put out recipes that we create for our home. So yeah. we never really try to create a recipe just for the sake of creating recipes. We don't, we don't say there's a hole in the market here. Let's create a recipe for it. Actually, a really good example is yesterday's breakfast for me. I got up in the morning and there was only six eggs left for the whole family and that is a disaster. And um, there was no bacon there was just nothing in the fridge. And then I thought, okay, well, I've got to be a bit creative here. And I found an orange sweet potato and I grated uh, like about a quarter of that into the frying pan with some ghee and started sauteing that. I found one portobello mushroom in the fridge. So I sliced that up and added it. 
and um, was sautéing that. And then I whisked up the eggs with a bit of, um, I think I put a bit of, no, I just whisked them up with salt and pepper. And when the um, sweet potato and mushroom had all, it was starting to caramelise in the ghee and it was just smelling beautiful. (laughs) I poured the eggs in and just turned the heat way down and left it for five minutes to cook a bit on the bottom. And then I grated a bit of cheese over the top, not very much, just a bit, and then I popped it under the grill for five minutes. And it just made the best omelette, something so simple. And then I was like, yay, a new recipe. So it's, for me, it's often, um, uh, what's that that saying? Um, uh, No, I can't remember the saying now. It's the one about where you, you've just got to make do with what you've got, but it's not that saying. It's another one. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's when you, um, you have to sort of figure out what to do with, you know, whatever you have, and that's how you make up recipes. Well, that's yeah. how I make them up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about the available ingredients. I went camping this weekend, and I had some grain-free pastry, my uh, life-changing dough that we South through Brahma alternative and I had a camembert and before that I had sort of sauteed some mushrooms with a little bit of burnt butter and steak <laughs> and the pan was sitting next to the fire and then I got some of that pastry and I stuffed it with camembert cheese and I drilled it over the open fire and it was incredible but then I was like I'm not going to stop there so I grabbed the pan that the mushrooms had sauteed in with the butter and the sage and then tossed, heated that up and tossed the <laughs> pastry in it and got, got all that buttery sage crispy outside of the camembert filled uh, pastry and uh, that took it far to the next oh. level. It was amazing. Can and I come camping with you? You no. sound like you make much better food than I do when I go camping. I, I, I was so happy. <laughs> I was cooking on fire for oh. It was just constant. Oh. See, this is why people need to come to your fire feast fable thing because it's going to be yummy. Yes. You're good at outdoor cooking. Yes. I remember the saying, necessity is the mother of invention. That's what I was trying to think of. Beautiful saying. I love it. Yeah. So when you've just like got to scrounge through, or when I get a, a box of really odd vegetables and fruits and I'm like, oh, what do I do with this? That's when my best recipes happen because I have to get creative. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Necessity is the mother invention. So that's how we do it. (laughs) Often our best work is when there's almost nothing left in the pantry. Right. And it keeps it simple as well. That's right. Yeah. Cool, guys. Well, um, have a great weekend. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And uh, Joe, great chatting to you. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more. (laughs) I'm sure we will. And if we missed your question, we'll try to get to it another week. Thank you so much for sending in some questions. It was was good. Yeah. Yeah. See you guys. Bye. Have a great weekend. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.